0: From the
2: TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm really happy to have on somebody that's one of my favorite guests I don't get to have him on enough because he's so busy doing his own thing Over on Stick to Football with Matt Miller Senior draft analyst for Bleacher Report And of course you know him very well If you read turnonthejets.com and subscribe to our podcast Because he was a podcast host over here A columnist and of course he's a frequent guest still Even though he's made it to the big time over at Bleacher Report Mr. Connor Rogers Connor what's going on man? Glad you could come on
1: Hey Scott, how you doing? Thanks for having me dude It's always good to talk to you I feel like this is our our annual time of year (laughs)
2: To catch
1: up on the state of the Jets
2: Yeah, absolutely And I'm looking forward to having you on around draft time too I know that you're busy So we'll have to coordinate that a couple of months out I guess But I know that You're always one of my favorite people To pick the brain of When it comes to the draft But also when it comes to As you said The state of the Jets So let's talk about that We will start with Adam Gase The most popular topic right now But not for positive reasons Because it seems like The fan base is very down On Adam Gase After his first year What did you think? Do you think the fan base Is being a little too hard on him Or are you with the consensus That Adam Gase Did a really bad job in 2019 And that maybe the Johnsons Were foolish to give him the That vote of confidence so early In the season?
1: I don't think They're overreacting to this. I think first Off, the hiring of Adam Gates Was always a pretty difficult sell to this Fan base. You're hiring a Failed coach from a division rival Let's be real. They hired the guy that couldn't Get it done with the Dolphins Uh, On top of that, there was plenty of rumors That had legs to them that he clashed With a lot of different people, whether it was the owner Whether it was, you know Different members of the staff or, Or obviously the most important one being members of his actual roster and I think we've seen a little bit of that here in just less than a year already Scott so I don't think they're being over you know very overreactive and I think when you look at it a lot of people not fans necessarily but uh, you know certain people are are trying to celebrate seven and nine like it was an accomplishment and and the, the problem is Greg Williams was a lot of the reason for that seven and nine record this Jets defense that the only starter that played every game was Marcus May. So they were pretty much running with twos and threes and street free agents for a lot of the year held the fort together and kept this team together. And I can tell you Greg Williams was the guy in the locker room at the facility that really had the biggest hand in keeping this team together. A lot of the players on the roster will be the first to tell you that off the record. And I think when you look at it from Adam Gase, a lot of the problems that plagued him in Miami have carried over to here. Now, Sam Darnold, I thought, finished the season you know, relatively uh, strongly. I think not necessarily the last game against Buffalo, but since he had that stretch of seven interceptions in two games, he really picked it up. And, you know, of course, Gase gets a little bit of credit for that. But I think just overall, coming out and giving him a vote of confidence as early as they did was bizarre. Hiring him was very bizarre. And as the schedule becomes much more difficult next year with a couple of West Coast trips mixed in, and you're not hoping for seven and nine, you're hoping for improvement. You're hoping for nine and seven. You're hoping for 10 and six. The expectations are being dialed up, but just to be completely transparent, I'm not optimistic. Now they deserve the off season to see how much they improve this roster. And I'm excited to see what Joe Douglas and his staff do. But once again, I'm not overly optimistic specifically because of, you know, The the lack of uh, creativity and the overall problems that go with an uh, Adam Gase coach team
2: Connor I want to ask you about a quarterback from Adam Gase's past but before I do that I just want to say that sometimes when I run in the morning and I do every day It hurts my joints and I get really sore sometimes my back hurts sometimes my muscles are stiff And I need something that's going to be able to loosen my muscles up so that I'm not hurting all day long. And if you get something over the counter like Icy Hot or Bengay, it doesn't usually do the trick. But I wanted to share with you a discovery that I recently made that's helped me a lot and I think it can help you too. It's called Cryo CBD. It was developed by Omax Health. It's a non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on and it's fantastic for taking away that pain I was talking about and making sure that it doesn't come back later in the day, unlike stuff like Icy Hot and Bengay that you typically get in the store. I highly recommend checking it out and I've got a great deal for you too. Just for listening to Play Like a Jet, you get 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze pain relief roll-on, plus free shipping. That's right, free shipping. Discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today, enter the promo code OVERTIME, and take advantage of this great offer. If you're looking to relieve your muscle and joint pain within 15 minutes and you want a natural, powerful solution that's tested and works... This is the answer to your prayers. CryoFreeze Pain Relief Roll-On. Quick absorbing scientifically backed formula. It provides pain relief instantly. Pro athletes use it and so do I. So you know it works. Remember, go to omaxhealth.com today. Enter the promo code overtime and take advantage of this incredible savings that's omaxhealth.com and enter the promo code overtime to get yourself 20% off cryo freeze and a 20% overall site-wide discount don't let muscle soreness continue to be an excuse for living an active lifestyle go to omaxhealth.com today and feel relief faster And Connor, when it comes to relief, there are some players that used to play for Adam Gase that are probably feeling very relieved to no longer be playing for him. You're somebody that follows the rest of the league very closely, so it's always fun to talk to you about these things because I know that your knowledge isn't just confined to the Jets. So I wanted to ask you about Ryan Tannehill because as we get into more about Sam Darnold on this podcast... I want everybody to keep in mind what we saw at Orion Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. How much of that do you think was getting away from Adam Gase and into a new system? How much of that do you think is the surrounding talent that he found around him in Tennessee? Do you think that there's something to the half-serious, half-joking thing that people have been passing around about the Adam Gase liberation? Or do you think that there's just a lot more to it and it's fun to beat up on Adam Gase?
1: I think it's the combination of everything. I mm-hmm. think, number one, Ryan Tannehill was hurt a lot during his tenure with you know Adam Gase in Miami. I think another problem was Adam Gase has done a poor job of uh, tailoring an offense to quarterback strengths. And Tannehill and Sam Darnold are guys that move pretty well. They can get outside of the pocket. They can make plays with their legs. As we've seen from Adam Gase over the years, he, he wants to run what they did with Peyton Manning in Denver, where you have a, a pocket-passing, standstill quarterback, slow-developing routes, you know, that kind of stuff. They, they didn't really roll out Sam Darnold a lot this year. And, and back to the point of Tannehill, the talent on Tennessee, it, it's a run-orchestrated team. I mean, you saw it in the playoffs. They beat New England by having the quarterback complete, what, seven or eight passes. I think he had 15 passing attempts. So they're a run-first team with Derrick Henry and a very powerful offensive line. But I think, once again, it goes back to playing to a guy's strength. And I think we've seen the problem I have, Scott. Tannehill is one very good example. He looks much better away from Adam Gase. There's no denying that. Now, certain things, you know, outlier reasons can happen. But this really goes on and on. We saw Kenyon Drake turn it on in Arizona at times this year. Devontae Parker was phenomenal in Miami last year, and Gase had completely soured on him. To the point where he made him a healthy scratch, a healthy inactive at one point last year, and you saw what Parker did as Miami's number one wide receiver with Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. So uh, there's a lot of problems with it uh, across the league with Gase and players. It's not just Ryan Tannehill. It's you know it's a lot of guys getting away from him and then having success, and then it's a bad look. I think the problem most of all with Gase is how quickly he could sour on a guy. He's not a believer really in second chances. He once you're done with him, you're done. He looks for a way to not just not play you, but to ship you out. And I think that's why we've heard so much noise about Le'Veon Bell this offseason. You know, Adam Gase, the problem is Le'Veon – the Jets are tied to Le'Veon's money, but Adam Gates doesn't even want him on the roster because he, that's how quickly he sours on people. And it's a character flaw. It's a gigantic problem. I think to be a leader of men and a head coach in the NFL of, of highly paid, high-profile athletes, you not only need to have – I don't know if humility is the right word, but you need to be level-headed and you need to be rational. And Adam Gase is the exact opposite of those last two things I said. He's not level-headed. He's not rational. And, and it's a problem. He, he's very reactive, I think. And, of course, there are guys that do like him. But the problem is the majority uh, seems to get frustrated with, once again, just his overall attitude with certain players. It, it was an act that wore thin in Miami. And, and I think it's an act, honestly, that will ultimately wear thin in New York.
2: I agree with you on the Tannehill situation because I think the mistake a lot of people have been making is they'll say, well, they went to the playoffs with Tannehill when he was healthy that one year. People are exaggerating how much better he is in Tennessee, so on and so forth, but I think the real thing there that you need to look at is that in Miami, it was not schemed to his strengths, and we know what Tannehill's strengths are. They're his athleticism. As you said, he gets out on the run and makes plays that way. He's not a guy that's going to sit in the pocket and make complex reads because that's just not who he is. Travis Wingfield, who hosts Locked on Dolphins, who has been on the podcast a bunch of times, and I've repeated this a couple of times, but I think it bears repeating a bunch of times just so it sinks in. He has said that Ryan Tannehill is what you would call football dumb. So to think that he's capable of running that type of offense and not being able to be flexible and change it to tailor to his strengths, to me, shows a deficiency not only as a leader but also as somebody who's an offensive architect. We did see a lot of that with Sam Darnold this year too where he wasn't rolling him out enough or in that Cincinnati game he rolled him out right into Carlos Dunlap, which made no sense. We know the story about Darnold having to go to Gase at a certain point in the season and say, hey, this isn't really working for me. If you're an offensive guru, you should be able to see that when you watch the film yourself. And I think with Ryan Tannehill What you saw in Tennessee was They schemed the offense to his strengths And people can say all they want to Well, Tennessee had better personnel And they had that run-first offense that fits him Okay, fine, but the bottom line is They were running that offense And they were making sure that that offense Was tailored to what he does best Adam Gase never even attempted to do that in Miami So I think that's a big red flag And it was a big red flag at a lot of points During the 2019 season with Sam Darnold And so when we head into 2020, the big question is, is Gase going to be able to get the most out of Darnold? Now, obviously, Connor, we know that a lot of that comes down to what Joe Douglas does in the offseason, too, in terms of pieces that he puts around Darnold. And I want to get to that later. But first, what did you think of Sam Darnold's progress from year one to year two? And do you think that he can make that leap in year three? Do you think that the leap that we all were hoping for in year two can finally happen in year three? Or do you think that perhaps Gase is going to be somebody that holds him back? His offense and his stubbornness will hold him back.
1: Well, I'll start it by answering the last part of the question. I do think he can make a very significant jump in year three because the guy is extremely talented. He's very hardworking. He has the right mindset. For playing, you know, the toughest position in all of sports, he's phenomenal, Sam Darnold. And I think there's a couple of reasons outside of Adam Gase of why he'll make that jump. Number one, I think he's too talented not to. Number two, I think Joe Douglas is going to make this offensive line much better, which alone should help and solve some of the problems. Number three, he was 22 years old this year, Scott. I mean, the, the let's be, Sam Darnold's younger than Joe Burrow. I, I want to make that clear. The guy that's about to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, Sam Darnold's younger than him and has played and started two years in the NFL already. So those are my reasons why I do think he's going to make a jump in year three. Now, the things that concern me are from year one to two, I didn't see a ton of progress and I could, from watching the film and I hate to be that guy that say, Oh, from watching the film, but just being honest from watching the film, there are things under Adam Gase that held him back where You know, just the footwork things alone. Jeremy Bates came in, and and I know Jeremy Bates was not the perfect offensive coordinator. He had his own problems, but he, he cleaned up a lot of mechanical issues with Darnold coming out of USC. I mean, you know how closely I scouted Darnold that year. And I think when I look at it, the work that Bates did with him mechanically was very impressive. He completely eliminated his issue fumbling the football. I think he fumbled twice as a rookie. He lost two fumbles twice, you know, as a rookie. This year, I know he lost three. You know, it doesn't seem like it's a significant issue overall. I think it's just something where the offensive line was bad. So that issue's been cleaned up. But I think mechanically, he didn't always look right at times this year under Gase. I think he wasn't always comfortable in the offense. And then that report drops that he went to Adam Gase and said, listen, these are the things that I like to do. And then the team wins three games in a row. Uh, They light up the Raiders, absolutely torch them. And then you watch the film when they lose to the Bengals, and it's like they threw all that stuff in the trash. And, and this is what I mean, once again, I don't want to make this the show of just harping on Adam Gase, but the things that are so frustrating, uh, you look at it and you go, well, why didn't he? Why is he not rolling his quarterback away from Carlos Dunlap, who had three sacks in the game, and I think had, had maybe two coming into the, that game all season? And why is he not helping his offensive line? Why, why is he not making things simpler? You know, for his quarterback, after how great things looked, in running those concepts for three weeks straight, those are the things that I can't control and can't explain. And I sit here and I say he's going, to make the, he's going to make a jump because the team, I think the offense is going to protect him more. I think, once again, he's going to work really hard, and I think he's talented enough. But my biggest question is, is there going to be a voice in that room that could challenge Adam Gates. It's not Dal Loggins. I'll tell you that right now. It's not him. So, is there going to be a voice that could say, "Hey, let's try something different this time"? That's what's going to dictate the level of jump he can make, whether it's a small one or a very, very big one. I the days of saying, you know, you want Sam Darnold to be a top ten quarterback in this league—that should be the expectation when you took this guy third overall. And I know he has the talent to be. So, at some point, it's it's going to fall back to the coach.
2: In addition to the coaching clearly they need to upgrade the roster specifically the offensive line but there are other positions too if donald's going to be able to hit his ceiling and if the jets are going to be able to take enough strides forward to make real long-lasting improvements not just in 2020 but beyond what do you think about joe douglas so far how high is your confidence level in him
1: i think it's high enough i don't think you know I think at times he got a little – I don't want to say overrated. I think the hype was a little out of control. I think Joe Douglas has worked very hard for a very long time in this league and earned this opportunity, earned the the contract and the long-term money that, he, that he's getting. And I think that he's done a lot of good things and he's made some good hires. And now I want to see it play out with him being the guy. that You know, it's, it's, Howie Roseman isn't coming out and giving the press conference after the draft this year. You know what I'm saying? Joe Douglas is the guy – that has to answer the questions for the picks that they make. And, uh, you know, you could, you could try to guess his strategy. I know he's going to prioritize the trenches. I, I can tell you that. This is a team that's going to look to draft offensive linemen. They're going to look to sign offensive linemen. They're going to explore the trade market. Those are things they're going to do. And, and I think Joe Douglas is a perfectly qualified guy to be doing this job. It's just you want Let's see it play out. And for this, the gambles he took this year, you know, the Khalil signing was a complete dud. It, but at that, when he comes in, how many options do you have? You tried something, it didn't work. Trading for Demarius Thomas, I'm, I'm not going to put the blame on him because, you know, he gave up, what, a sixth rounder, but that's Adam Gase. And that's what scares me. How much control is he going to give Adam Gase? Because if Adam Gase isn't here in a year, then what did all those moves mean? Nothing. This is the problem with having the, a coach that you're sitting there and you're going, why was this the hire? So, it's the classic jets where the GM and the head coach report to the owner. They're not aligned the right way The you know, the coach should report to the GM is how it should be done. They should be brought in at the same time. And I know these guys are are apparently unified there. There's a relationship there, but I still think when all is said and done, Joe Douglas will want to pick his own head coach at some point. If things don't go right. So I'm excited. I really am to see what he does with this roster. I'm excited to see his draft strategies and, and his values and, you know how much does he value analytics? How much does he value a lot of different things? You know how many metrics I I value going into the draft, whether it's production, age, athleticism, character, all those different things. Does he weigh them all differently? And if I was interviewing Joe Douglas, these are the things that I'd love to pick his brain about. So uh, the only way to find out is to see you know what the Jets roster looks like that first week of May.
2: How worried are you about ownership? Because obviously. The decisions that they've made over the last bunch of years have not been sound. We've seen what's happened to the team over the last decade. Ever since that last appearance in the AFC Championship game in January of 2011, it's been a downhill slide for the most part. You had that one year in 2015 where they were pretty good but still didn't make the playoffs. But other than that, it's been a really sad decade for Jets fans. And so now you have Adam Gase and you have Joe Douglas here, and we've talked about both of them. But do you think that as long as the Johnsons are owners of this team, Jets fans are always going to have reason to be concerned?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think owners at times have gotten too involved with football-related decisions. That's a bit of an issue. I think, you know, let's be real. This is where the divide starts. Just to give you a short example, an owner last year wanted Le'Veon Bell. The owner said, get the Le'Veon Bell deal done. Adam Gase didn't want Le'Veon Bell what kind of position does that put your general manager in? And this isn't the defending Mike Mcagnan part of the show. It's just simply the raising the problems that do exist when owners are involved in football operations. I think another thing is the owner picked this coach. So, you know, with how we'll see how things go with this coach, but I don't know if that was a great decision, especially when you look at this, is a team that could have had a guy like Matt rule. And, and I think, once again you know the owner doesn't often come out and speak to the decisions very often how long does it you know how many times does he meet with the press besides coming out and giving the coach a vote of confidence that was just horribly timed so I mean when you put it it, it, there are reasons to be concerned there really are I'll give the Johnsons credit for they they seem to always spend money you know they haven't been ultimately you know they they do want to the Johnsons want this team to be good I want to make that very clear it's not like You know, I'm a Mets fan, and I feel like the Wilpons don't really care if the Mets are good often. Otherwise, they'd actually spend money. I think the Johnsons have good intentions of making this team good. I just think they have no idea what they're doing. And, you know, if you have no idea what you're doing, how many times can you do the same thing and fail and and keep trying to do that? And I think what I mean by that is they they either cut the court short or they they wait too long or they make decisions on their own. They need to let Joe Douglas come in, run the show, and, and do everything his way And if it works, then great. And if it doesn't, at least you tried something different for once.
2: And in trying something different, that would mean... Adding a lot of pieces to this roster Via Joe Douglas and I guess Adam Gase Depending on how much input he has Into the transactions That can help Sam Darnold elevate to the next level That can help this team be on a path To sustain success So let's talk about some of the moves That perhaps the Jets can make here in the offseason Let's talk about free agency, Connor We'll get to the internal free agents later But first, external free agents Any particular players that you like And any specific positions that you would target well I think
1: this is a team that needs an edge pass rusher and I'm curious to see you know if, if Yannick Ngakwe from Jacksonville will hit the market I think he's somebody that I would consider you know one of the premier guys as a pass rusher over these last couple of years he's young you always want to get you know a younger free agent we saw what happened with the Jermaine Johnson situation I think you know it's a player that won't turn <laughs> 25 until the end of March you know so he's really on the cusp of entering his prime here. He's been very productive for Jacksonville. I mean, eight sacks, 12 sacks, nine and a half, then eight again. He's a good run defender. He really does it all. This is somebody that in the right system will be a 10 sack, a double digit sack player year after year. The Jets need a guy like that, especially, you know, you bring back Jordan Jenkins, you get Ngakwe across from him. Now I'm not saying this is likely. I think the Jets are going to be a tough sell in free agency at times because, you know, they, it, it'll depend on it. – some guys want to go win, and, and they want to get money, but they also want to go win. So you mm-hmm. look at the players that are free agents. You know, there's there are guys on the edge. There's Shaq Barrett that had a phenomenal season in Tampa Bay. Matt Judon in Baltimore. Now I'm a little more hesitant on that one because, you know, it feels a little bit more like Tremaine where he's he's going to be 29 when he, when he starts next year. So it's how much money do you give him. I think when you just look at it, though, the overall point I'm trying to drive home here is that they need an edge pass rusher. It, you, you look at offensive line, you'd love to go get a guy like Brandon Scherf to, to bulk up this interior of the offensive line. You really, really would. I think that's something that has to be under consideration. It, it stinks that, you know, the, the Browns and the Bengals both resign their starting centers. Both of those guys would have been good ads for this offensive line. Neither of them are going to get to the market. So, you know, there's not a a plethora of options that are premier players for the offensive line. And that's why Sherp's going to get a ton of money, probably. I mean, God, he's going to top the guard market. He's probably getting at least $16 million a year, which is, you know, it's going to shock some people, but there's a demand, there's a premium on guys like that. So when you look at Sherp, he's going to get a lot of money. And once again, you know, those are the two positions that the Jets need to bolster up. There's not a ton of wide receivers in this agent class. It seems like they're going to let Robbie Anderson test the free agent market. I don't think Amari Cooper gets there. So once again, it's you know your your hands are tied in free agency where you can only do so much, and that's why you should I should often argue you should try to keep your guys because a lot of teams just don't let their players hit the market anymore.
2: It's funny you brought up Tremaine Johnson before because, Connor, I don't know if you remember this, but the day that Tremaine Johnson signed with the Jets, we were actually right about to tape a podcast as the news broke, so we ended up breaking that news on the podcast and... And I remember at the time, our reactions were both, well, Tremaine Johnson's not great, but at least he'll be an upgraded corner, (laughs) so that's a good thing. And I guess we were both wrong about that because it did not work out well at all. I would assume that he's one of the guys that you would be looking to get rid of this offseason, so let's talk about the guys that are on the team and the internal free agents. Who would you be looking to move on from, and who would you be looking to keep around here?
1: Yeah, well, I think you made a good point. Starting with Jermaine Johnson, I know there's dead money on that contract when you look at it. So, you know, it's a lot of dead money too. It, it really is. I think you know he's gonna he's gonna cost you probably about twelve million as carrying his cap hit, but they don't want him on this team. They'll save them three million. They'll take it. He, he's an ineffective player, and he just won't be around. I think it's as simple as that. So when you look at another player. The guy that's interesting to me is Avery Williamson because you could save six and a half million dollars if you cut him with only a $2 million charge. But, you know, they missed Avery this year. I thought that Hewitt and Burgess did a good job and Cashman when he was healthy. But once again, you know, how much money can you invest in inside linebackers? So maybe they'll want to get that money off the books. This isn't a team starving for money, by the way. They're going to have about $57 million in cap space. So. You know, will they cut Tremaine? Probably. Will they cut Avery? I think they will when all is said and done. The Anunna situation is fascinating because of his health, so we can't really get into that and act like we know what's going to happen. Brian Winters will be cut. He'll save them over $7 million. Daryl Roberts will probably be cut. He'll save them $6 million with no dead money. So, I mean, those are – you know, you're trimming some fat right there, Scott, and you're getting yourself back into the the $75 million range for cap space. That's a lot of money here. So – uh, there's moves to be made. There really, really are that'll you know that'll save them that'll save them plenty of money. And, and I don't think money is the issue there. And they don't have a ton of players to retain. So it's not like you cut any of those guys and you're wincing as you do it. It doesn't feel like it'll be that much of a difference. I think it, what makes me you know curious here is who do they bring back? And I, I know we've talked about Robbie Anderson so much over these last couple months. And I do think he'll be gone when all is said and done. I think the guy that's the most interesting to me on each side of the ball, offensively, because we're getting away from Robbie here, Kelvin Beachum, I think they should find a way to bring back. And I know he's not this premier left tackle, but he's a lot better than what's out there. He really is. You know, listen, here's my argument. Sure, draft an offensive tackle at pick 11, if you can get one. The the top three in all the mock simulators we do are, are off the board. We'll see if one falls. You play them at right tackle, and you bring back Beecham to play left tackle, so you don't have to deal with Shellery Doge at right tackle anymore. I mean, they almost got Sam Darnold killed so many times this year, where you're just trying to stack pieces. I don't think Beecham was a huge problem on this offensive line, so you get a rookie at right tackle, you get Beecham back at left tackle. That's a big re-signing for me. On defense, for me, it's Brian Poole, the slot corner. You got to find a way to bring him back. I know they've been trying to. You know, they're they're they are. they they are they have had some talks with the the agent. Uh, I, I don't think it's gone anywhere yet, but I, I think when you know when all's said and done, it's one they got to do because let's be real, Scott. We know this team can't lose any pieces in their already thin secondary.
2: What do you think happens with Le'Veon Bell? Any chance he gets traded?
1: Yeah, I think it's fifty-fifty right now. I think Gates will be in Douglas's ear trying to get him to move him. You know, I don't. I think Joe is is open to it, but it, how much sense does it make to trade the guy when you're going to eat some of the contract? just to get rid of them, and you're going to get a fourth-round, fifth-round pick back. That doesn't – the value of that makes no sense to me. I would keep him for 2020, go one more year with him, find ways to make him productive. Gase did not do a good job of that either. I, I would play him out in the slot a lot. You know, if you're going to run all these empty sets, have him and Crowder working inside. They're both effective like that. And if you want somebody else to be in the backfield, so be it. Bell was a good pass protector this year. He really was. I just think they didn't do a good job using him. And I know he's not the Leviana Bold but he's still a good player. And I just think shipping him off for a, a, a crappy draft ass- asset, you know, in the fourth, fifth, sixth round and eating the money just doesn't really do much to make your team better. It really doesn't. It just screams to me of a coach stopping his feet.
0: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep.
2: Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Connor, I want to have you back on closer to the draft so we can really dissect some of the prospects, and especially as everything comes into clearer focus after the Senior Bowl, which is coming up, after the combines, after all the workouts and all that. But I wanted to get an early preview from you. The Jets are sitting at number 11. Who are some guys that you think might make it to 11 that they should be considering? And do you have your eye on any guys past the first round that you think might make good additions for the Jets?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we've been running these mock drafts like crazy on stick to football, Bleacher Report. Here's the top three offensive tackles right now are Jedrick Wills from Alabama. He's not expected to be there. Andrew Thomas from Georgia. You know, up in the air if he'll be there, probably not. Tristan Wirfs, who hasn't declared yet from Iowa, he could be there. Very TBD. Those are the three names Jets fans should know. Uh, Those are the three names that you have to imagine Joe Douglas has his eye on at 11. And and then you get into the range of what if they're not there. Uh, Let's look at the wide receivers that are available. I don't think they'll take one. I think they'll take a wide receiver in the second or third round. They have two third-round picks, which helps. So, once again, I don't think they'll take a wide receiver in the first round. But Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, those are the three guys to know there. They're phenomenal players. They're, they're all potential to be number one guys. They could really change an offense. They really can. And then you look at, you know, the defensive line. A.J. Epinesa's name has been thrown around. I don't like that fit for the Jets because he's a tweener. He's already 285 pounds. He's not a true edge player. It's a good player, but they don't need any more guys that work on the interior they really need a, an edge player. And then you look at corner, Jeff Akuda from Ohio State will be gone, but then Christian Fulton from LSU comes to mind. So, you know, there's a lot of different options at 11 right now, Scott, and it's going to be interesting to see how this board breaks.
2: I want to throw an interesting hypothetical out at you that I put out on Twitter. And I'm going to revisit this with you the next time you come on because obviously the information will be different and we'll have a better idea of where these guys are probably going to go. But let's say you're the Jets and I'm going to use what happened with Andre Dillard last year with the Eagles as the model for this because as you know, Joe Douglas played a big part in making that move where the Eagles jumped the Texans to grab Andre Dillard. Let's say Joe Douglas goes into this and says, I've looked at all the offensive linemen and the three guys that I think are legitimate first round prospects are Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Andrew Thomas from Georgia and Tristan Worf from Iowa, the three guys you mentioned before. This, of course, only applies if Worf enters the draft, but for the sake of this, let's just say that he does. And let's say that now you get to the number nine pick in Jacksonville, and two of the three offensive linemen are off the board, whichever combination of the three could be any two of them. And let's say that Judy and Lamb are off the board, Akuta is off the board. All the players that you would theoretically be looking at to pick at number 11 or hoping slide to number 11 are gone except for that one offensive tackle who would be the guy that you really want anyway because we know that Joe Douglas is really looking to fix that offensive line. So if that's the situation, you've got the Jaguars at number nine and you've got the Browns right behind them at number 10. You know the Browns are going to be looking to draft an offensive lineman. Would you make a Dillard-esque trade and use either the Giants third rounder or your own third rounder to jump the Browns to get that third tackle? Or would you sit at number 11? And for the sake of this theoretical, let's also say that trading down is not an option. So it's a choice between picking the best available player at 11 or moving up to number nine to get that tackle. What would you do?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'd be open to moving the Jets third rounder. I try to keep the the Giants one, which is obviously much higher. I think it's tricky though. I I I like C D Lamb and Jerry Judy, you know, a lot. And I it, I think one of them is going to be there at eleven. So if I was sitting in his chair, I would not move if it was if I had full autonomy because I'd take one of those guys. But I wouldn't panic. It, this team has so many holes. You can't give up picks. That's my problem. So. Now, I think Wills and Thomas will be gone. I like Worfs. I think he, he he's kind of like Sherp where he looks better. He, he projects better as guard, but he could be an okay tackle. So it makes you wonder, is the juice worth the squeeze on that one, to quote Dave Gellman. And, you know, you look at it, it's tricky. I, I think I understand if they did it because it flows with Douglas's philosophy. But for me, I would sit there and take a premier receiver that fell whether it's Judy or CD. And if they're both gone, then, then I understand it. But they won't be. And then you could really – there's guys I like on day two in this class at offensive line. Trey Smith, Trey Adams, I think they're good players. Even Becton from Louisville. There, there's talent on the offensive line in round two. Where the jet, And I know some people are saying double dip, and I get that. I just think it's, it's tricky. It, it, if you start to panic and move picks – you, you put yourself in a really tight spot where you can't miss anymore. And, and teams always miss. The Jets missed in the second round for like eight years in a row. It's just how it goes. So but my philosophy is very different than Joe Douglas's. And that doesn't mean that I don't think he's good. I, it's different. And that doesn't mean that I think, you know, I'm the best. I just think we view things with a different light. And I think that there's a lot of different draft strategies in the NFL that work, that differ from each other but with this Jets team it would be it would be very tough for me to move a pick in that scenario
2: A lot more conversations to come on this topic over the next couple of months. I'm looking forward to having Connor back so we can really dissect the prospects in this draft. This is definitely a new frontier because for the first time in a few years, the Jets are going to be picking outside the top 10. So now the conversation becomes who falls as opposed to when the Jets were sitting up so high, you knew that they were going to be able to get at least one of the top tier players that they wanted this year. Who knows what they end up doing? And that's why I threw out That theoretical because I think it's an interesting Possibility if that's how the board Plays out but Connor I'm really Looking forward to discussing this more with you Over the next couple of months, we'll probably do something after free agency is over between that window between free agency and the draft. And then I know you've got a ton of stuff coming up. You're going down to the senior bowl in Mobile, and then you're going to start really breaking down these players on stick to football with Matt Miller. So what do you have going on? How can people find you and how can they check out your work both in podcast form and written form?
1: Yeah, I mean we'll be down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, we'll be doing live shows January twentieth and twenty second at seven thirty at Draft Picks Tap Room in Mobile, Alabama. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. It's a tradition we've been doing for years. We'll be at the Super Bowl, so down in Miami, uh, February first, that Saturday from one to two. We'll be doing an event pretty close to where all the media stuff's gonna be going on. We'll be tweeting all that out from at to Football, my account at Connor J. Rogers. Uh, so you won't miss any of that stuff. And listen, if you if you like all this offseason stuff, that's what we do on Stick Football three times a week on Bleacher Report. So if you, if you want to listen to mock drafts every single week, trade scenarios, fixing teams, yeah, come find us, and we won't disappoint you.
2: If you're a draft junkie like me, you know that that's well worth your time. So check out everything that Connor's doing over at Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turn turnonthejets.com.